chapter number 2, 1 Peter chapter number 2. I believe there are two main reasons why the Bible was given to us by God. There are certainly many, many uh, reasons, I think, that could be added to these, but I think they would all fall under one of these two categories. The first reason, I believe, is for God to show us uh, our need for a Savior and how to be saved. Uh, That, I think, is the primary purpose of Scripture. It is certainly the theme throughout the beginning of the book through to the end of the book. And uh, then I believe that the second reason that God gave it to us, because to be real frank with you, God could have shared that story and that information with us in a fairly small amount of Scripture. But I believe that another reason, another vast reason for Scripture, and uh, once we're saved, the becomes the paramount reason, is to show us how we're to live once we are saved, how to be uh, holy, pleasing to God, how to know His heart, how to know His will, as much as He has chosen to reveal it to us. Uh, the truth is, God is, is uh, infinite. He is inexhaustible. For us to ever get to the place where we think that we know Him completely, as far as uh, His character, who He is, uh, what He consists of, the truth is, we can study all of our lives and delve into the pages of Scripture. I was talking with somebody recently and how vast the Scriptures are. And some of you can attest to the fact that over years you've read Scripture over and over and over again, and every, almost every time we come to it, we see things we didn't necessarily see before. It's an inexhaustible book. And yet it doesn't even hardly begin to scratch the surface of the magnitude of God and who He is. And uh, so I believe it, it's there to help us to know how to be pleasing to Him and to know as much of the mind of God as He has chosen to reveal to us through His Word. Um, if we understand Him and know Him, at least to the degree that we're capable to understand and know Him, I believe it will help us to live the way we ought to live. And I believe that's why we have the type of... My phone's talking to me. I believe that's why... Uh, God has given us Scripture in addition to knowing uh, that we're saved and on our way to heaven. And so we're going to take a few moments this afternoon to take a look at some things that I believe are given by way of instruction. Um, I, I was talking to some folks recently, and all of the Scripture is profitable to us. There's always something that is profitable. Uh, we don't take time to study and read through the genealogies often in church, but even in the genealogies there are things there that are profitable to us. And um, so we want to take a look in First Peter, uh, and uh, we're going to read in chapter number 2 um, just one verse of Scripture. And uh, he talks about the, Christ that, about the fact that Christ uh, is the chief cornerstone and uh, was set... Uh, uh, the, the Bible talks about the fact that the builders disallowed it, um, and became a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to them which stumble at the word being disobedient. And to be honest with you, a lot of, uh, a lot of folks that are unsaved don't quite understand God. They, they, um, it's hard for them to know and to, and to, to make sense of, of Jesus and what He's all about. You don't believe me. All you got to do is talk to a few people that are unsaved and hear what their thoughts about Jesus are, and they are nothing to what the Bible describes Him about. Uh, they just don't understand Him. They don't have that light yet. They've not 
understood those things. And he becomes uh, a rock of offense and a stone of stumbling. Nobody likes to be called a sinner. And a lot of lost people get offended at that. That somebody would come out and have the audacity to say that they're sinners and they're lost. And uh, so he talks a little bit about this. And in verse number 9, he changes gears. And he he switches the focus off of who Christ is to who we are. Uh, And he says this in verse number 9. He says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you, notice this, out of darkness and into, or not in, but into His marvelous light. We find two things that are done here. We've mentioned this before in, in preaching, so I'm not going to belabor this point because we're going to get to some other material in this passage. But I want you to understand something, that when we were saved, uh, we were not just saved from our sin, but we were saved unto holiness and unto uh, walking in the Spirit. We were turning from one towards the other. People uh, talk about uh, repentance and the, the part that repentance plays in salvation. And I'm not afraid of the word repentance. It's in Scripture. It's in the Bible. I think sometimes many people uh, misapply the use of that. Uh, But to repent means to turn 180 degrees. And I'll tell you this, that the moment that you get saved, when when you come to the place that you realize you're a sinner and you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a change of direction. You were trusting what you could do to, for your eternal security. And you are turning from that, which we found out the flesh is at enmity with God. We are turning from that to putting our faith in God and trusting Him. And there is a... You, you cannot divorce the two thoughts and the concepts of putting our faith in Christ for salvation and turning to Him in repentance. Because we were following the law of sin and death. That's the direction we were moving. Now we're turning to Christ and we're walking in the Spirit. And there is a difference and a change there. And so we find here that we are not just saved from our sin, but we are saved unto Christ. And Peter speaks of this as he gets to the end of verse number 9. He talks about Him who hath called us out of darkness. But that wasn't all that God did. If all God did was get the darkness out of our life, then there would be a void, there would be a vacuum, something still missing. And so He didn't just save us out of darkness, but He saved us into His marvelous light. Uh, we talked a little bit here a few months ago about uh, uh, the Mormon faith and uh, how uh, oftentimes just showing them that uh, what they hold to and what they believe is wrong is only half of the battle. Sometimes we feel like if we can do that, that we're really close to seeing them come to Christ. But that's not truly, that's not truly the case. While we've gotten them to turn from what was in error, the next part comes into play, and that is trying to get them to turn to Christ. And the same holds true in our, our lives. There is a battle that takes place in our life, and that is turning not just turning from sin, but turning uh, under Christ and trying to follow uh, His leadership. The Bible tells us, and Peter speaks of this, that uh, in verse number 21 of the same chapter, if you'll look there with me, he says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, notice this, leaving us a what? An example that ye should follow His steps. So we're not just saved from our sin, but we are saved to walk in newness of life. We're saved and walk in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the power of His Spirit. We're to to live in a way that we are ambassadors and representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Peter speaks of some things here that I want us to look at that sometimes 
while we may be aware of them, and certainly we've heard these before, we don't live oftentimes with the awareness of these. And I think if we could learn to live with the awareness of these, it would help us to be more of a testimony for the cause of Christ. Look what the first part of this verse says. As it says, But ye are a chosen generation. I want us to look at a couple passages of Scripture. Hold your place here. We're going to use our Bibles a lot this afternoon. We have several references to turn to, so hold your place here. Put a pen there or a piece of paper so we can come back to it. And I want us to look at this thing of being a chosen generation. Uh, look with me, in the first of all, if you will, in John chapter number 15. John chapter number 15. <clears throat> and let's look down to verse number 16. Ye have not chosen me, notice this, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth what? Fruit. What are we chosen for? To bring forth fruit, and, and that your fruit should what? Remain. You know, I'll tell you this. I was uh, in Bible college. I went to several, couple Bible colleges uh, as I was going through my training and teaching, and they put a large emphasis on sharing the gospel with people and soul winning, what we would call soul winning or telling people about Christ. And they put a big uh, uh, emphasis on this. And they would call it fruit. And oftentimes uh, we would come in on Saturday or Sunday and we would uh, get in our meetings and we would share testimonies of our times out sharing the gospel with people. And oftentimes we would give an account of maybe this person that we were able to share the gospel with and they trusted Christ as their Savior. And the truth of the matter is there was so much uh, emptiness and vanity in some of that uh, that the fruit that was born did not remain. In fact, you could go back to that same person two or three weeks later and find out that, uh, that there was, um, uh, they didn't even know what they had done, really. You could ask them, do you know if you're going to heaven when you die? They'd say, I don't know. And uh, you'd share the gospel with them all over again. The truth is... While there was some fruit there, it wasn't fruit that remained. And the reason was it was not born uh, in, the, in the Spirit. It wasn't something that God had done in their hearts and in their lives. So He has chosen us and ordained us that we should go and bring forth fruit. Not just any fruit, but fruit that remains. And that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, He may give it you. And to, to have a walk and a, a time with the Lord in such a way that we have the power of the Holy Spirit in serving the, the context of asking uh, anything of the Father in His name and Him giving it to us is in the context of bearing fruit. That's what the whole passage is dealing with there in, 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 that, in that portion of John. <clears throat> and so we find that we are chosen, a chosen generation. Chosen to what? Uh, some people will say, well, people are chosen to be saved or chosen not to be saved. That's not what our Bible teaches. Our Bible says He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And John chapter 3 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't say just the elect. It doesn't say just the people that God chose to be saved. But it does speak about people being chosen. Well, what are we chosen for if not salvation? Can I tell you this? The first thing we find in Scripture that we are chosen for as a chosen generation is to be bearers of fruit, and not just any fruit, but fruit that remains. And so that we can be able to present the gospel to those that need to hear, and we can see fruit that remains. Not only do we bear fruit by producing other Christians and seeing other people trust Christ as their Savior, but we also bear fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And the fruit of the Spirit is a fruit that also ought to remain in a Christian's life. And we are chosen for those things. 
These are things that God has set us aside for. He's earmarked us. He said, this is what I'm designating you as a child of God to do. You need to bear some fruit. And you need to have fruit that remains. It's not, on, it's not here one day and gone the next. But there is a consistency and a stability in the fruit that is born in our Christian life. We're chosen to that. Notice with me also in Ephesians... You go to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 1. Ephesians, chapter number 1. Look in verse number 4 with me, if you will. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should what? Be holy and without blame before Him in love. Well, we just had a message on this, so I'm not going to re-preach this message, but we are chosen to bear fruit and fruit that remains. Secondly, we are chosen to be holy. We are chosen to live a life that is above reproach. We are to find the heartbeat of God in Scripture, and we are to throw ourselves willingly and diligently, and can I even use the word fervently, towards holiness. This is something we don't teach a lot about today. A lot of our churches just kind of wash over the whole holiness thing. Because it's it's, it's a battle, isn't it? It's, it's hard to accomplish in life. It's something that we come to church and if the preacher preaches on holiness too often, we just are frustrated at it because we're not succeeding at it. The truth is we are called and we are chosen, the Bible says here, as a chosen generation, we are chosen to bear fruit. We are chosen to be holy. I want you to notice also in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, if you will, in verse number 28. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 28. <clears throat> let's go back and uh, let's go to verse number uh, 23. We'll, we'll work our way into it. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block. Kind of sounds like what Peter was talking about here. Unto Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That's a great statement, isn't it? The wisest of the wise cannot even equal the foolishness of God. The strongest of the strong cannot even equal the weakness of God. Isn't that an amazing statement? Notice here as we get to verse number 26, For you see your calling, brethren... How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty, and the base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence." But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We are chosen to have humility, knowing our place and what God's place is in our life. He's chosen the weak things, He's chosen the foolish things of the world to accomplish His work. Isn't that, I'll tell you, that's encouraging to me. Because I look at my life, and I will say this, I don't have a whole lot of natural talent. I don't. I don't have a whole lot of natural personality. I am an introvert, and I've shared that with you. But God can take some of the smallest things, the most, the most insignificant things, some of the things that the world would look at and say, that's foolishness, 
And God can do something mighty through it if we're willing to be used of Him. It requires a humble spirit. It requires coming to God and saying, God, I can't, but if you want me to, I will do it with your power and your help. We've been chosen to these things. We've been chosen to a, a, a spirit of humility that no flesh, notice this in verse 29, should glory in His presence. God knew that if we were to do these things that we would uh, of our own selves, we would glory in the fact that we had done them and not Him. And very, very important that we understand that this calling uh, is something that uh, this, this choosing of God, this chosen generation, is something that we do not neglect, that we live in the spirit of this every day. That we are to bear fruit. We are to have holiness in our lives. And we are to serve in a humble and a meek spirit. These are things that we have been chosen to do by God. The Bible tells us these things are chosen. we are chosen to do for Him. And as we study and learn what, what it is that I'm supposed to be doing now that I'm saved, it helps me to know what I'm chosen for, what God has made the decision for me for. Notice, if you will, also in 1 Peter chapter 2, back to our text verse again. He says, first of all, ye are a chosen generation. So we've talked a little bit about that. But he also says this, ye are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. I love this one. Turn with me to Revelation 1, if you will. Revelation 1 and verse number 6. Revelation 1. <coughs> and verse. let's back up to verse number 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood and hath made us, those of us that have trusted Christ as Savior, notice this, hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We've been made kings and and priests. How in the world have we been doing that? How have we been able to accomplish that? Well, I'm thankful that I no longer have to come to the Lord through a priest, a human priest. I'm thankful that Christ is my high priest. I can come directly to the throne of God. I can pray directly to Him. But in the position of a priest, one that is a leader of religious things, that is to express things and try to teach and lead the people, you and I as believers are to be an example. We're to be those that proclaim the Word of God to others. We're also kings, the Bible says. And look with me, if you will, in Galatians chapter number 4. And I love this. Galatians chapter number 4. And look in verse number 5. Galatians chapter number 4. Let's go back to uh, verse number 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that would have been us, that we might receive the what? Adoption of what? Sons. When I trust Christ as my Savior, the Bible says, and, you get, and, and them gave me power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. The fact that you and I become a child of the King. We, we become part of the royal family, if you will. We, we get to inherit the things that God has for His children. Uh, you and I are royalty. Can I encourage you in this? We ought to act like it. We, we represent the king. I remember when I was a kid, every once in a while as a teenager, when I got my driver's license, I'd want to go out and, uh, with my friends and we would, we would hang out. You know, we'd do stuff. We didn't always know what we were going to do, but we were going to do something, you know. 
And uh, we'd go out and then we'd try to figure out what we were going to do, and that always got us in trouble. But uh, I never forget oftentimes when I would leave the house, my mom or my dad, whichever one saw me last before I went out of the house, would often say, remember whose kids you are. Remember who you represent. And by that they were saying, listen, there's a testimony. My dad was a pastor in the town. People knew him. They, they knew his testimony. They knew his, uh, his, his, his mindset on things. And I was one of his children. And whether I liked it or not, my conduct reflected on him. Can I encourage you in this? You and I are the children of God. And whether we like it or not, our conduct, our conduct reflects on Him. Very important that we understand this. We've been made kings. We're part of the royal family. We've been adopted into the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of the resources of God are at our fingertips, are at our disposal. We get all the wonderful, wonderful inheritance of a king and a prince. Look with me in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter number 3. And let's look in verse number 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. We shall see Him as He is. I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to that day. To be a child of the King, a child of the King. With Jesus my Savior, I'm a child of the King. I'm looking forward to the day that my Father, my Heavenly Father, comes back. I miss my earthly Father. I saw a picture of Him the other day. He had a birthday this past week in heaven and uh, was missing Him greatly. But you know, as much as I love my earthly Father, as much as I miss my earthly Father, I cannot wait to see my Heavenly Father. That moment where we are united with Him, oh, what a joy it will be. I, I told Brother Richard, I, he and I laugh and cut up and talk a lot, Rich, Brother Richard Anderson. I was talking to him one day. I said, Brother Richard, you're a rich man. He's like, oh, no, I'm not. You know how Brother Richard is, you know. I said, Brother Richard, you're a child of the King. I said, man, alive, you got, you got all this. I, people don't know it. You are independently wealthy. And... Uh, and we got to talking about that, and before long, he and I were rejoicing in that fact that he and I are children of the King. Can I tell you this? We need to act like it. We're royalty. We're not arrogant. We certainly don't go around looking down on people because they're not and we are. We look at them with a broken heart, wishing that they'd come and be a part of the child of the King's family too. But can I tell you this? We need to learn to act like one. We need to learn to act like a child of the King. We represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, if you will, turn back with me <clears throat> to our text passage again. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. He says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Notice this, he says, a holy nation. A holy nation. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 1, back in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter number 1, one of the first five books of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter number 1. By the way, if you were in Sunday school a couple weeks ago, you learned that we call those first five books the Pentateuch, right? So, Deuteronomy chapter 1. Look with me in verse number 6. The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, Ye have dwelt long... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I got the wrong verse here. 
Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Where, where am I at? Uh, I've got the wrong chapter and verse here, I think. Let me see if it's 6-1. I might have wrote it down wrong. I haven't done that in a while. I'll have to get that one for you. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. Sorry about that. Colossians chapter number 3. And let's look in verse number 12. Colossians chapter number 3, back in the New Testament. And verse number 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, notice this, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. And this is, this is the characteristic of someone who is holy. We are to put on, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, these, these things that represent and cause people to look and say, there's a person that is living a holy life. There ought to be kindness. There ought to be humbleness of mind. There ought to be meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. Why? Because these are characteristic of our God. These are the things that Christ has done. We are to be holy like He is holy. Back to First Peter, if you will. In chapter 1, just over a, just a, a one chapter from where we're, our text verse is. First Peter chapter number 1, in verse number 16, Peter writes, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Uh, we're to be holy. We are a, pro, uh, a, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and we are a holy nation. Uh, we're to be holy because Christ is holy. We're to be holy uh, because of what God has done for us and His holiness. We're to be examples of Him. Turn to me to the, with me to the book of Jude. And uh, it's just before Revelation, the last book in the Bible. And Jude is a very uh, short passage. Uh, in verse number 20, there's only one chapter, so you don't have to try to find the chapter here. But look in verse number 20. But ye beloved, now this is speaking here to Christians, those who have been saved, building up yourselves... Okay, I'm supposed to be building, I'm supposed to be growing, I'm supposed to be uh, progressing in the Christian life. In what way? Notice he says this, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most what? Holy faith. Can I encourage you in this, that when we have faith in God for our salvation, there is a holiness that is attached to it. Faith is not just uh, getting, getting a decision made in our minds and in our hearts where we, we come to the Lord and uh, we say, I'm just going to, uh, I, I'm going to uh, trust you for my salvation. And then we go about living our lives the way we want to. When we put faith, genuine faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ, something changes in us. Something now has a desire to live in a way that is pleasing to Him. Keeping yourselves in love. Uh, 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 I'm sorry, verse number 20. But you love it, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And so, again, we ought to be a holy people. Romans chapter number 11. Romans chapter number 11. And verse number 16. For if the first fruit, Romans 11 and verse number 16. For if the first fruit, now, again, the first fruit speaks here of the Lord Jesus Christ. For if the first fruit be holy, well, was Christ holy? Yes or no? Sure He was. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, 
so are the branches. For in Christ, there will be a difference. There will be a change in us. We don't live holy in order to get saved. We live holy because we are saved. Because we are of Christ. We are in Christ. We live after the Spirit now. We follow after the Spirit. And there ought to be a holiness about us. And so Peter, in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, he says that we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And then he says this, a peculiar people. <laughs> that doesn't mean strange. That doesn't mean I go out here when there's a full moon and how at the moon and people look at me like I'm peculiar. The word peculiar here in, the, in its proper usage, in the, and, and you think about it, uh, is to show ownership of. In other words, uh, let's say um, uh, Brother John is an expert at golf, and that is peculiar to him. That means that he has ownership of that. That belongs to him. That's a trait that he has. It belongs to him. Uh, for me to say that uh, Dave is an expert pilot, uh, that is a character trait that I am associating to him. He has ownership of it. It belongs to him. When we talk about a peculiar people, we're speaking here of a fact that there is an ownership there that we belong to something or someone. When we're dealing with it in the context of verse number 9, we find that we're dealing in the context of being chosen by Christ, being part of His family, uh, being holy like He is. And so when it deals with the fact that we are a peculiar people, the ownership that is given here, it is given by the context of the passage, is that there is an ownership that Christ has of us. He has bought us with a price. We belong to Him. We are peculiar to Him. He doesn't have lost people in His family. He doesn't have those that live uh, uh, unholy lives that reject Him and do not put their faith and trust in Him as His children. Nor does He use them to do His work. But He does have a peculiar people. People that belong to Him. A people that are associated to Him. You say, Brother Greg, how am I associated to Him? People call us Christians. That word comes from the word Christ, and it means the Christ ones or the little Christs. We are associated to Him. When people look at Christ, they associate the Christians as part of that body of believers. Understanding that we are a peculiar people. Turn with me to the book of Titus, chapter number 2. Titus, right before Hebrews. Titus, chapter number 2. Verse number 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, this is what His grace teaches us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You want to know what a Christian is supposed to live like? There's a great description right there. Looking, this is, this is our attitude, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So we're to live this way, looking for His return. Notice He says this, who, uh, uh, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us. What does the word redeem mean? To buy back. Implies ownership. 
It used to belong to him. It wasn't there for a while. And then he purchased it again. He bought it back. That he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself. Here it is again, a peculiar people. A people that are set apart, not because they're strange, but they're set apart because they belong to him. You and I are that. We belong to the king. He has every right He is fully justified. He is fully fair to us to demand of us to live holy and pleasing to Him. Some people say, well, I don't think God should have to be involved in every part of my life. Who is He to tell me how I can and can't live? He owns me. He has every right to tell me that. And by the way, I'm glad to give it to Him willingly. You know, it's amazing because when we understand what Christ has done for us to purchase us, when we understand the benefits we gain by Him purchasing us, we don't come to Him with a, 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 a stubborn spirit and say, I can't believe I'm, I'm into slavery uh, by God and he's, he's holding me under something. No, no, no. We serve Him not out of obligation, not out of the fact that we have to. We serve Him because we understand what a great thing we have gained by Him purchasing us. We love Him with all of our hearts because of it. We are a chosen generation. He's chosen us to bear fruit. He's chosen us to live holy. He's chosen us to have a spirit of humility. We're a royal priesthood. We get to come into the very throne room of God. I can come to the God of heaven... God the Father. And I can come to Him and say, Now, Father, I have a need. an amazing thing? You ever stop and just think how amazing that is? That you and I could come to God and say, Father, what a joy. Why? Because we're part of His family. We've been adopted in. There's, there's people, there's sometimes kids who come knock on my door or they'll come up to me and they're selling some kind of fundraiser thing. And I try to help them out sometimes, but they can't come to me and say, uh, hey, uh, Greg, I need you to do this. I need you to buy this from me. They come, they come asking in fear and trembling, thinking that I may or may not turn them down. Why? Because they don't belong to me. But Jonathan and I, we'll go out to... To, to the store or something and there'll be something he'll need and he'll pick it up and put it in the basket and we go up to the cash register does he pull his wallet out? No. Does he offer to pay? No. Why? Because he expects me to. There's not a kid in the world other than my own that would ever do that to me. But my kids do that to me. You know why? Because I'm their father. Because they're my children. There's a different relationship there, isn't there? The fact that you and I get to come to God and say, Father, I have a need. Will you meet that need for me? Well, what a thought. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We are called to be holy. We are set apart to be holy. We are to be examples of Him. Because we are royalty, we need to live like it. And then we are a peculiar people. Can I encourage you in this? We need to live... Every day, aware. Not just knowing these things, but aware of these things. 
If we can live in light of, of the awareness of these, of these things that we're to be following now that we're saved, it would drastically change the way we live. It would cause us to live in a way that is pleasing God. It would cause us to have a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. It would cause us to live holy. It would cause us to purpose in our hearts, I'm not going to defile myself. Why? Because I'm a child of the King. Because I've been chosen. Because I have been commissioned to be holy. He's given me His example. We need to live not just knowing these things, but conscious of these things, aware of these things, with them always on the forefront of our minds. The Bible, I believe, was given for two reasons. To show us how to be saved, our need of a Savior, and how to be saved. Secondly, it was given to us to show us how we're to live once we are saved. What we're supposed to do in our walk, in our relationship with God. And it's verses and it's passages like this that help us to understand our position in Christ. And if we can live with that awareness, it will change the way we live. It will cause us to live in a way that I believe is pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that will be a help to us. Let's stand together, shall we, and we'll dismiss in prayer.